This is a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. Good morning, good morning. Did you bring a Bible? Good, you'll need it. Going to take a risk this morning, do something we don't often do. I'm going to begin by reading the Bible. And not just any bit of the Bible, I'm going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 15 versus the whole thing, the whole chapter. Uh, It's going to take us a little while, which is why I asked if you had your Bible with you. Um, You can read along if that helps you to concentrate. You can shut your eyes if that helps you to concentrate and not fall asleep. Uh, It's an amazing, amazing chapter, so I thought I'd just read the whole chapter thing. Are you ready? You got it? 1 Corinthians chapter 15. All right, here we go. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By the way, this is Paul writing this uh, to the Corinthian church. Just in case you didn't know who was talking, this is Paul. Right, anyway. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep, by which he means died. He's just being polite. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. He's not boasting. He says, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach and this is what you believed. But... If it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised." For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ 
the first fruits. Then when he comes, those who belong to him, then the end will come. When he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For he has put everything under his feet. Now, when it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself, who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him, so that God may be all in all. Now, if there is no resurrection, what will those who are baptized, what will those do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized for them? And as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I face death every day. Yes, just as surely as I boast about you in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I fought with wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning, for there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or something else. But God gives it a body, as he has determined, and to each kind of seed, he gives its own body. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh, animals another, birds another, fish another. There are also heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. The splendor of heavenly bodies is of one kind, and the uh, the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, the stars another, and star differs from star in splendor. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, and the last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth, the second man is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. But we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. 
For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. There we go. Time for a cup of coffee? I feel like that's a sermon in itself, isn't it? What an in- incredible chapter. Uh, this is one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible, which is why I wanted to read the whole thing. Um, also because preaching uh, a 20-minute sermon on that is going to be challenging. So I won't be able to refer to every single verse, verse by verse. We'll be here all day. Um, so I thought I'll, I'll give you the whole thing so you get the context, and then we'll just deal with about half of it, bits and pieces. You'll see. Anyway, during the week, in preparing my sermon, I thought, I'll ask ChatGPT what, what the internet thinks about life after death. I thought that was a good question to ask AI, you know. Um, I said, what happens when you die? Uh, and ChatGPT began by answering, I'm an AI. Um, I cut that bit out because it wasn't very interesting. Um, but I jumped in here. It says, I'll read it out, but it's on the screen too. Uh, According to different cultural and religious beliefs, there are various ideas about what happens after death. Here are some of the most common beliefs. ChatGPT seems to love lists. Here we go. It's a short list. Number one, in many religions, it is believed that the soul or spirit of a person departs from their body and enters another realm or afterlife. The nature of the afterlife can vary depending on the religion, with some believing in reincarnation while others believe in heaven or hell. Number two, from a scientific perspective, after death, the body undergoes a process called decomposition. The body's cells no longer receive oxygen and nutrients, causing the organs to shut down. The bacteria in the gut and other parts of the body begin to break down the tissues and organs. Eventually, the body will decompose into its basic elements. It is important to note that what happens after death is still largely unknown, and many of the beliefs surrounding it are based on personal or religious beliefs rather than scientific evidence. I don't know if you know uh, about AI and how this thing works. Uh, If I was ever tempted to get ChatGPT to write my sermons for me, uh, this is what it would be like, uh, and I don't think that's a good idea. Um, I mean, it's it's done a decent job. It's basically read everything anyone has ever said on the internet uh, and spat that out. I don't think you have to choose between the two of them. I think it's both, both can be true, or maybe just the second one if you're not into the, the whole religious perspective. And I, I suppose you could assume from that and from just living in our society and our culture, chatting to people, uh, that what the Bible says about what happens after you die is going to sort of resemble point one there, right? Ish. But actually, you just listened to a whole chapter from 1 Corinthians 15, 
And what you see there is a little bit different. Um, let, me, let me just pull one, one chunk out to start with from the middle. Why start at the beginning when you can start in the middle? Uh, this is verses 20 to 26. You can have a look up there. I've already read it. I won't read it again. But this is something different to what ChatGPT reckons about what happens after you die. Uh, even different to what ChatGPT calls the religious view. There is no mention here of a soul or spirit departing from the body to enter another realm, is there? Many of us, I think, just assume, because of the cultural waters that we swim in, that that is what the Bible will say. But when we read Scripture carefully we find something different. This word, resurrection, is really important and really key. Uh, and we've just sung about it all morning, so you know what it means. I have a little Bible trivia for you. You ready? I, I have a challenge. Those of you Bible nerds in the room, you don't have to raise your hand. You know who you are. I want you to find a verse in the Bible for me that clearly describes heaven as the place you go when you die. Do you want me to say it again? I want you to find a Bible verse that clearly describes heaven as the place you go when you die. Anyone? People are scrambling. I see the, the nerds in the front row thinking hard. I don't think you can find one. There's a, few, there's a few kind of hints and bits and pieces that kind of get close to that idea. Um, there's a couple of moments where it talks about going, going to be with Jesus when you die. And we know that Jesus ascended into heaven after the resurrection. So you can put two and two together. If you're going to be with Jesus and Jesus is in heaven, then you go to heaven. But it doesn't specifically say that you go to heaven when you die. I think that is what happens when you die. The point I'm making is not that that's not something that happens. The point I'm making is that that's not what the Bible says about heaven. The word heaven appears hundreds of times in the Old and New Testament, and it never talks about heaven as a place you go when you die. It always uses that word to talk about the place where God reigns, where God is on the throne, ruling over all of creation. And... We know that Jesus is there with him at God's right hand. There is a realm, the realm of heaven, where God, who is spirit, exists. This is a spiritual realm. Heaven is not a place that God made for us to go to when we die. Heaven is the place where God reigns and in his grace he takes us there to be with him. Do you get why I'm emphasizing that? I hope that's clear and not too confusing. Okay. So, what happens after you die? Well, there's one person for whom it's already happened, isn't there? What I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. Christ died... For our sins, according to the Scriptures, he was buried and he was raised on the third day. 
And that resurrection is well attested to. Cephas, which is Peter, saw it. The twelve saw it. Five hundred people witnessed Jesus. And when Paul is writing 1 Corinthians, this is not very long after the fact. So he can say, most of those 500 are still alive. By implication, go and ask them. Paul is inviting the Corinthian Christians to investigate for themselves that this really happened. It's incredible. It's hard to believe, but it really did happen. And this is not what should happen when someone dies. ChatGPT told us that when someone dies, their body should decompose. It was pretty graphic, wasn't it? And I suppose ChatGPT would say that while their body composes, their soul departs from their body and goes to some afterlife, right? But Jesus' afterlife is in a body where he can appear to people where he is physical and really raised from the dead. He eats with them, he talks with them, Thomas can put his hand in the wounds in the side. Like, what Jesus is doing here in coming back to life, Paul calls the first fruits, which is a weird term. We might use a word like trailblazer, I think it's more kind of contemporary. He is the one who did it first with a view to others following in his footsteps. We who belong to him will receive that same thing. If you believe that Jesus truly rose from the dead in a body with skin and bones and the wounds in his hands and his side where the nails and the spear pierced his body, a real physical body that his disciples could see and touch, a body that could eat bread and fish and all kinds of other things when he spent time with his followers, not a disembodied spirit, not a ghost floating around or sitting on a cloud playing a harp with wings, a physical resurrection. Do you get that? And, and Paul is at pains, he goes around in circles for a bit here in this, let, in this chapter, he is at pains to say, You've got to get this. If he really rose, then you will really rise. And how can some of you say that there's not going to be a real resurrection for you when you follow a Jesus who was resurrected? And just in case they still don't get it, he preempts the next question. And maybe it's your next question too. Someone will ask, yeah, but, but How? Like, what is it actually going to look like? How is it actually going to work? Like, are we all going to come back here on the first Sunday after the new creation and, and sit in these seats and, and look just like we do now? Like, if, you, if you're young, will you come back young? If you're old, will you come back old? Like, how does it all work? What kind of body are you going to come with? To which Paul says, how foolish, which I think is a bit mean. But anyway... <laughs> He says, basically, it's, he has a few analogies here. He talks about uh, when you sow, you plant a seed, and then a body grows. And it's not the same thing as the seed, but it's connected. 
It's made of the same stuff, and yet it's not. There's a kind of continuity between the seed you plant in the ground and the plant that grows up, and just the same, there's a continuity between the body you currently live in that will die and the resurrection body that you will have in the age to come. The body that is sown is different, but not completely different, which is hard, hard for him to describe, and he goes on and on about it, doesn't he? The body that is sown is perishable, raised imperishable. Sown in dishonor, raised in glory. Sown in weakness, raised in power. There it is. Sown in dishonor, raised in glory. Sown in weakness, raised in power. Sown a natural body, raised a spiritual body. Now, someone here has a question. I just know it. Someone's going to have a question at this moment, which is why I've stopped at this verse. They're going to say, Johnny, or Paul, since we're reading Paul, didn't you just make it painfully clear that the resurrection is going to be a physical one just like Jesus' resurrection was, and yet here you are talking about earthly and heavenly bodies, natural and spiritual bodies. It sounds like you're contradicting here, right? It's tricky. Let's read on. Hang on. We'll just hold that thought. We'll finish Paul's thought. If there was a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living body being. That's the one. The last, Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so there are those of the earth. And as is the heavenly man, so there are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. Now, that made it a lot more clear, right? No. Seems to be getting worse. Now we have an earthly man made of the dust of the earth, Adam, in whose image we are made, versus the resurrected Jesus, the heavenly man, who's made of heavenly stuff somehow, right? You've got to read really carefully and really closely. Uh, Some of you would have already done this work in your Bible study this this week. You've come pre-armed. You know what's going on. The rest of us, we've got to do some work. Here we go. A couple of of good commentaries to read. Uh, David Pryor uh, writes, We are particularly hamstrung both by the limitations of English in rendering key Greek words and by popular views of man which divide his nature into different parts, for example, body, mind, and spirit. So he's identified an issue uh, with the way that we understand the Greek, original Greek, and how we turn it into English, and what the English words mean to us in our cultural context. And like I was saying, the the water we swim in, the stuff that ChatGPT is reading, makes us think that these categories are physical bodies and non-physical spiritual. Do you know what I mean? That's how we use those words. N.T. Wright says something even stronger. Many versions translate these words as physical body and spiritual body, but this is highly misleading. 
If you go that route, you may as well be saying, as many have done, that Paul is making a contrast simply between what we might call a body, that is a physical object, and what we might call a ghost, a spiritual object in the sense of non-physical, but that is exactly what he is not saying. And I can, I can make it pretty obvious to you that that is exactly what he is not saying, because he began the chapter by having this argument with the Corinthians about whether or not they should believe in resurrection. Their issue was that they thought there's not going to be a resurrection in a physical sense. They had picked up an idea from the Greek culture that they, that they lived in, in the Roman Empire, that physical stuff is bad and non-physical stuff is good. And therefore, if we're going to be made holy and made perfect when Jesus returns, well, we better be made non embodied. That was their framework, and I think we've inherited some of that into modern Western frameworks, and also picked up bits and pieces of it from other religions, and it's a bit of a mess. But that's the big picture, and if you just take these verses, you don't want to get the opposite picture by accident. What he is saying is that we will be resurrected into new bodies which are significantly different from our old ones, not in terms of their physicality, but in terms of what he calls splendor, uh, which is a nice word, isn't it? The resurrection body of Jesus was imperishable. He was raised into a still a body, but a body that will never die. And the resurrection body of Jesus was glorious, while the previous version had been what Paul calls dishonorable. His old body was weak, but the new is powerful. His old one was only natural, but the new is spiritual, by which he doesn't mean non-physical, but more than just the natural, empowered by the Spirit. Remember we said that heaven in the Bible isn't about being the resting place of the faithful dead. Heaven is the throne of God. So when it says that Jesus was raised into a heavenly body, it's not the idea he was raised into the kind of body that can live in heaven when he dies, except he's not dead because he came back. See how you get stuck? It doesn't quite fit together when you try and do it that way. It makes a lot more sense uh, when we think about it this way, that it's not a story about where you go after you die. The Bible is a story about how you come back. Revelation chapter 21, right at the end of the Bible, describes the last day, the end of time when the dead are raised and changed. And it talks about it as the day when heaven is brought down to earth, where the two realms are joined forever as one. All of creation will be changed. There is a sense, almost, that all of creation gets to be in a resurrected body in some way. Which is not what ChatGPT calls the religious view. Where we are taken out of the physical world into a non-physical afterlife. Instead of going to heaven, heaven is brought down to earth. And the heavenly bodies are brought down to us to inhabit that heavenified earth. 
people getting confused or is it starting to make sense? Just check the temperature, see a few nods, see a few blank stares. We're, get, we're, we're getting there. It's all going to come together, don't you worry. Paul gets excited here at the end of his chapter. He builds to this crescendo. He says, I declare to you, brothers and sisters. He's getting preachy. I, I don't know if you know this, Paul, Paul didn't tend to sit down and write his letters. We think, oh, it's a letter. He probably wrote it. But he dictated his letters. He preached his letters out loud, probably standing up, and some poor guy had to try and keep up writing it down for him. Um, you know, we'd, we'd use Siri or something, a text-to-speech, but uh, they just had to have uh, an amanuensis do the job. Anyway, he's, he seems to be really getting going here. He says, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the perishable. By which he is saying, something needs to be different. Something needs to change. He says, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. The trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will all be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Here's the final point Paul's been building up to. Through all the complexity and all of the difficulty with language, through all of the confusion of, of the, the resurrected body is, is still a body, but it's different, and it's still you, but you're not the same. He, he's really wrestling with how to even put all this into words, but when he comes into land, he says, look, I'm telling you a mystery. I can't give you the exact scientific process. I can't even give you the exact details of this new body or this newly unified heaven and earth. He says it's not really about what our new bodies will look like or feel like or be able to do. I don't know if you've read the stories about Jesus after his resurrection, how he can like teleport and walk through walls and stuff. It's wild. He can like disguise himself so no one can recognize him and then reveal who he is. It's, it's weird. And Paul doesn't tell the Corinthians, or by extension us, any of that. Remember he started out calling them foolish? I think that's what he's getting at. He's like, you're asking all the wrong questions. Here's what you really should need to know. Some of it's going to remain a mystery. Some of it we can't comprehend. Some of it he can't put into Greek, and the translator certainly can't put it into English. What will an imperishable, immortal experience be like? We are so used to the ticking of time. We're so used to death and decay. We're so used to sickness and trouble and grief. 
all of that will end. What will it be like, then, to live in a body, in a universe, where endings no longer exist? I have no idea. I think Paul probably has no idea. And he's kind of just scrambling to give us something he can say, something of use, something of hope. Here's what you need to know. Death has been swallowed up in victory. That's not Paul's words, that's Isaiah, 700 BC. And Hosea says the same. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? This resurrection concept has been with God's people even before Jesus was on the scene. The prophets were already saying, this is what God is going to do. And when Jesus came and rose out of that tomb on the third day, he was fulfilling what Isaiah and Hosea and others had promised. And the aftermath of that resurrection is our own resurrection. The power of the resurrection is the defeat of death itself once for all. The power of the resurrection is the defeat of death itself once for all. Some 2,000 years ago, as the stone rolled away from the tomb and Jesus was transformed in the blink of an eye and he appeared to over 500 eyewitnesses and there will be a final, complete defeat of death. One day. But right now, we still experience the the sting of death. We still live in perishable bodies. We still live in mortal bodies. But we know just as Jesus was raised, so we too will be given new bodies, imperishable bodies, immortal bodies, finally to experience in its fullness the abolition of death in all its forms. Or as Revelation 21 puts it, There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. This is our sure and certain hope. This is the thing to look forward to as a follower of Jesus. If you belong to Jesus, then his victory over death is yours. That is the gospel. That is the good news. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Stand firm. Any suffering or pain or crying or mourning, any opposition you face, we didn't get to talk about that, Paul talking about fighting beasts in Ephesus, let nothing move you, he says, 
keep going. Strong in the sure and certain hope of the victory that we already have in Jesus. This will all pass away, perishable and mortal though we are, and how painfully we know it. On the final day of all time, where time itself will end, in a flash, in the blink of an eye, we will all be changed, made imperishable, immortal, glorious, spiritual. So, we just wait around in the meantime? No. No. Give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, the work of the gospel, the work of the kingdom of God, to share this good news with those who are perishing, to share that there is more to come, to love one another with the freedom that comes knowing that the victory is already won, to praise and worship God in our words, in our songs, in our lives, knowing that everything else is temporary. The eternal king, the risen one, the one who defeated death. He will live forever, and so will we with him. Lord Jesus, we know full well uh, the sting of death. Lord, we know full well our perishable, mortal lives. But Lord, we also know that you came back, that you defeated death, that you won the victory, that you are the first fruits, that you are the trailblazer going before us. And Lord, we look forward to that day. Um, we want to live in light of that promise that we have, that hope that we have in you. Lord, fill us, fill us, we pray, with a strong and certain hope in you. May it give us the strength that we need, the courage that we need, the fortitude that we need to keep going in this life of death and pain and struggle. And Lord, may it inspire us and excite us to share with one another, to share with those who don't yet know the glorious inheritance that is found in you. Lord, that you died for us and that you rose again for us. Amen. This has been a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. To continue the conversation, we invite you to join us Sundays at 9.30am and 5pm or on our website at www.nvbc.info.